This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome back to The Faithful Expositor. This is Brother John O. Sims, and you immediately know hearing my voice instead of hearing Brother Joe's that we're switching it up a little bit today. I changed up the venue, and we're actually recording from a room here at youth camp at Camp to Know Him in Pisgah, Alabama. And uh, last week, we devoted the entire podcast to student ministry and youth camp. And we wanted to continue that today because I have my best friend and lifelong ministry partner with me here today, Brother Don Singleton. He's the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Selmer, Tennessee. And we've been lifelong friends Brother, it's a joy to have you with us today. How are you doing? Doing great, brother. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you for being your podcast today. And I love the title, The Faithful Expositor. Brother, that's what we've given our life to in the Lord Jesus. So thank you for having me today. We might just take a little detour here, brother, because we don't have a, uh, you know, just a real We've heart. done that a couple of times. We've done that years. many times. Real heart set agenda. But, brother, just before I get into kind of what we wanted to talk about here at camp, tell me about your heart and passion for exposition, brother. And well, let me start. First of all, what is exposition of Scripture? Brother, it's just taking a passage of Scripture. We go book by book in context. We start at chapter 1, verse 1, and we spend a, usually in most books at least a number of years, and we preach it in context, passage by passage by passage contextually, uh, exegeting, leading out the truth that's there, not leading anything into it, not exegesis. And we've given our lives to that, and it's the very lifeblood of of uh, my commitment to Jesus and yours, and we've been exposed to our Bible preachers our whole life. John MacArthur says it's not the best way to preach. He says it's the only way to preach. Amen. I agree. And, and I believe that with all my heart because that's how the Spirit of God wrote the Bible, yeah. one book at a time, 66 right. times. Of course, it's a, it's a harmonious whole, but uh, it, the only way to understand it properly is to start at chapter 1, verse 1, the background of the book, so forth, and going through it verse by verse. and. There's nothing that will make you grow and learn about Jesus and understand the Bible correctly than that. And uh, it is the very heartbeat and lifeblood of my life and and walk with God in the Lord Jesus, and I know yours as well. You know, I just recently preached Brother Jeff Noblet's 40th anniversary as a senior pastor at Grace Life Muscle Shoals, and the the text the Lord led me to in Isaiah was precept upon precept, line Line upon line, line, here a little, there a little. I think one of the reasons there's so few expositors, brother, it's not a quick fix proposition, is it? Brother, it's hard work. Yeah. I call it I call it an elbow grease Bible study. And uh you have to lash your lash yourself to the word of God and and uh study all week long. And if churches are expecting a lot of things that are that are not biblically commanded for the pastor to be doing, but they expect that of him and it can it drains all your time away. You cannot even be a faithful Bible expositor. So you have to be committed to it no matter how the church responds. And, of course, folks who have really been saved and love Jesus, once they start being fed the Word of God like that, they want nothing else. And I remember pastoring a church in southeast Arkansas, and they'd never had an expositor Bible preacher. But I'd only been there for a few weeks, and I started a book in the Bible and going verse by verse. And after just a week or two, folks were just they were they were astounded. They said we've never heard anything like this. Right. And both just verse by verse and block and but, tackle. Yes, and that's what's made Grace Life such a great church and Brother Jeff such a great pastor because the backbone of his ministry has been biblical exposition, one book at a time. 
And same, of course, I know at your church and, of course, mine as well. I know this week here at camp, you and I, we're doing what we do right now. What this we is who we time. are. It's what yeah. we do. Just sit around and talk about Jesus and talk about the Word and revival and the I Holy Spirit it. and preaching it. and the church. And Amen, brother. One of the statements that I made to you, and we've repeated it to each other so many times through the years, and I've said this to you so many times, if you're an expositor, you are an owned man. Absolutely. Brother, your life is dictated to you, isn't it? It is. It takes all that you have. Right. And uh, – <laughs> That may be one of the main reasons men aren't sponsored. I don't know. I'm sure some men may weren't raised, weren't, didn't grow up in a church where that was done. And I wasn't exposed to it growing up in church. And, yeah. and thank God that I was directed to that early in my life, and I praise God for that. But it's, it is very demanding. Yes, sir. But uh, it's a worthy, worthy thing. You want to talk about something laughable, and I, I mean, I'm having to contain myself. But what, a year ago or thereabouts, Andy Stanley said, if you're an expositor, you're taking the lazy man's way out. Is that not ridiculous? Well, that shows he knows nothing about exposure. Exactly. Bible preaching has never done it. That's what right. that shows. Yeah. That is yeah. ridiculous. Exactly. Well, we are here at camp, brother. And you and I, how long have we been doing camp together? Brother, about 30-something years. Yeah. As long as I can remember. Me too. And um, like I said, we're down here at camp to know him in Pisgah, Alabama. It's just such a great place to be. We come down here. We're separate from the world. The, the way the camp's set up, we've got it all to ourselves. We ask kids not to bring cell phones. We ask them to unhook, come down here, and just have eyes for the Word of God and ears Amen. for the Word of God. And, and, brother, we just pretty much preach to them, don't we? Brother, that's what we do. And uh, I love it. And the Lord taught me early in my Christian life and as a pastor that youth camp is just an extension of what we're doing at church. It's, it's, it's just we just take church and church worship service and Bible preaching and just transplant it in geographic to another location and just preach and teach the same thing. What I preach here is what I preach at church. Yep. The sermons I preach here are the sermons I preach at church. Yeah. And it's just like having a worship service. It's just a different place, and I love it. You know, we've kind of fallen into a groove, brother, and this week it goes by so fast it does and here we are down to the very last sermon that you're about to preach here in a few hours on the second coming of jesus and just as soon as we roll out of here we start thinking about next year and the, what the day of and the, the day after that's exactly it, right that's so true and somewhere long about midpoint through the year after praying and you and me talk we come up with a theme and i kind of send an outline out and make preaching responsibilities and this year, I sent out to you and all the guys that the theme of the camp was going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I told you that I wanted you to just give an overview of the gospel, which you did Wednesday night. And then Thursday morning, I preached on the death of Jesus. And uh, Thursday night, you preached on the burial of Jesus. Yes. Uh, Friday morning, I preached on the resurrection of Jesus. And Friday night, you preached on the ascension of Jesus. Uh, this morning, I preached on the the exaltation of Christ, and you're going to close it out with preaching on the second coming. And after praying and counseling with, you know, Tyler and our youth workers and leaders and pastoral staff, we just came to understand that we have a whole bunch of students in our youth group that are new. We've got a brand new group, and there's a lot of them that are not born again. They've never been saved. And that's kind of what directed us to this theme. And, brother, you know as well as I do, we've been praying for months for these ki some of these kids to be saved, haven't yes, we? Yes, we sure have. And it's, it's been wonderful. It has. The whole week. Amen. 
And I'm not going to deal with any of the messages that I preached because I want to talk about the ones you did because some of the things you preached, brother, are what I call important but often overlooked aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For instance, um, you preached on the burial of Jesus. Now, we know that that sandwich between the death and the resurrection, Paul says Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But you could apply that statement according to the scriptures to the burial of Jesus. Absolutely, and, and we must because Isaiah 53 verse 9 is a Bible verse of prophecy about the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded in the inspired book of Isaiah 750 years before Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. And God prophesied that his son, after he died upon the cross for our sins, would be buried. And if you study the, the verse out in the original Hebrew language, it basically is saying that he was appointed or assigned a grave with the wicked. This is where the Jews were going to bury Christ with the other two criminals and where they threw just threw carcasses or animals into a place like the Valley of Hinnom. And, and God was not going to allow his son's body to be desecrated like that. And so the rest of the verse says, but he made his grave, in the, in the Hebrew it says, but he made his grave with a rich man in, uh, in his death. And of course, that's Joseph of Arimathea, who the Bible says was a rich man. And I think it's Matthew 27, 57. Right. And so you can just take Isaiah 53, verse 9, and transport it over into 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, right. and say, and that he was buried according to the scriptures, Isaiah 53, 9. I've got to be honest with you, brother. I sit there, and most of these things you know you know, but when you hear them preached, there's oh, wow. just something about the miracle of preaching and the— how God has ordained it. And, brother, I sat there just spellbound, literally, as you preached on the burial of Jesus. And one thing you said that goes right along with what you just said right there was when the Roman centurion pierced the side of Jesus with that sword, that was the last time wicked hands would ever touch the precious Son of God. And that's what I love about the passage we preached from in John 19, 38-42. And, brother, that is I – mean, there's so much there about the burial of Jesus so important. But nothing is more important than that. Yeah. Because we love our Lord. Yes. And the cross breaks our heart. Yeah. That what Jesus had to suffer, not just at the hands of man, but of course at the hands of God, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins so we could be saved. But I am so grateful, and I can't talk about that crying. Right. That when that Roman soldier drove that spear to the side of Christ, no wicked hand ever touched the body of the Lord Jesus again. Joseph went and begged his body from Pilate. Uh, Nicodemus had the spices and the linen cloths ready. And the Bible says, and they took the body of Jesus down from the cross, wa washed his body, and, and wrapped him in linen clothes, poured in the expensive spices. And from that point forward, no wicked hand has or will ever touch the body of the Lord Jesus Christ again. Of course, when he comes back the second time, the Antichrist will try to turn all the armies of the world there at Armageddon. He will try to turn them against Christ. But he's got, the sword's going to come out of his mouth. He's going to speak the word. They're all going to be destroyed in an instant of time. No wicked hands will ever touch our precious Lord again. And to that, I say glory to God. Amen, brother. It's as if, well, it's not as if the Father said I will allow you to do these things to my son, but there are limits. There are limits. And our sovereign God 
decreed from eternity past and wrote it in his word that you'll go no further than this right here. That's what he did in his sovereignty. And God prepared for all of that. And I love the you know, the parallel we preached on in the book of Jonah that God wrote a whole book yeah. that, that in typology. That's not all that's in the book, of course. But uh, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the Bible says that God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And God prepared for the burial of his blessed son. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that. That's a great lead-in to something I wanted to ask you because i got to be honest with you, brother. I, I mean, you're just overwhelmed when you sit there and realize how the burial of Jesus was according to the Scriptures. And one of the things you brought out was that it's very, very possible that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was a student of the Word, yes, and Joseph too, that they had probably no doubt with the aid and the assistance of the Holy Spirit, they had read the Old Testament. They had seen that Christ was the Messiah. I believe, I believe by this point they knew he was the Messiah. Yes. And they knew, according to the Scriptures, that Christ was going to die and how he was going to die and where he was going to die. And because of Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, you revealed that there's a strong possibility that Joseph and Nicodemus were actually in the tomb. And when Jesus cried out, John 19, 30, it is finished, that kicked the plan of his burial into effect. And this is what you said, and I think this is so important to bring out. Of course, uh, the Passover uh, Sabbath ended, 6 o'clock. And Jesus had to be buried before 6 p.m. in order for it to be the three days. Explain that to us. Well, Jesus always said that he had told the disciples that he would be, he would suffer and he would be crucified and he would die, but he would be raised from the dead on the third day. So whatever day Christ died, which we believe was a Friday, right? He had to be he had to be raised three days later. So if Jesus died on Friday, he died at he died at Friday at 3 p.m. Right. And any part of a day in Jewish reckoning was considered a day. Right. So since he died at 3 p.m. Friday, he had to, he was going to be raised then Sunday morning. So Friday was the first day. Yes. And the, and the Jewish, in the Jewish reckoning of a day at 6 p.m., our early evening, that begins the next day. So he was crucified and died at 3 p.m. So he had to be in the grave, buried before 6 p.m., which would be the Sabbath. And in this case, the Passover Sabbath, and counting that Friday then would be one day, Saturday two days, and he was raised from the dead early Sunday morning. So he had to be buried hastily to be in the grave before 6 p.m., and yet obviously also with great care and dignity as well. Is it not amazing to you, brother, when you stop and contemplate that it wasn't a disciple that Jesus had ready, it wasn't one of the women that Jesus had ready. Brother, it was a member of the Sanhedrin Council, and it was a rich man that up until this point hadn't even been converted as best we know. But, but, but sovereign God had these two men who should have legitimately been enemies of Jesus. God had them ready to prepare the body of Jesus exactly according to brother that's a miracle it's amazing and john john 19 does say that nicodemus was uh, i'm sorry that joseph a was disciple. a disciple yeah. of jesus but secret fear of right. the jews right but at the burial of christ when he went and begged the body of jesus he was 
publicly confessing Jesus. We believe he was as converted. His Lord yeah. Yes, and as well as Nicodemus as right, well, right. also a member of the Sanhedrin Council. And the Bible says they were not consenting to his death. Right. And uh, it's just unbelievable that God had them ready. It's Dr. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary that says that this is probably what happened, that through reading the scriptures, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, I'm sure they read the Passover passage in Exodus chapter 12, and, and by the revelation of the Spirit, they realized that Christ was Messiah, that he would die on Passover, and that he, he would be buried and raised from dead, of course. And so they were secreted away by God to be ready to bury Christ the moment that he died. And Dr. Wisdom says in his commentary, he believes they were probably in Joseph of Arimathea's new tomb, waiting because it was located right next to Calvary, John 19.41 says. So they were just waiting for Christ to die to immediately spring into action uh, to go get his body, Joseph from Pilate, and for Nicodemus to go guard his body with the spices and the linen cloths. And so God had all that prepared. Yeah. He had them prepared. He right. had it all prepared as he has all things prepared in eternity past concerning all things, especially concerning his own son, the Lord Jesus. And it's just incomprehensible thinking all that God did to have the burial of his son ready, which shows you how important it is and what an essential part of the gospel it is. And yet almost 99% of all preaching on the gospel is on the death of Christ or the resurrection of Christ with very little preaching on the burial. And the other two ought to be magnified. Sure. But all three should be magnified. Amen. The death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Yet I believe, and I believe you do too, that the burial of Christ I would say along with the ascension of Christ are two of the lesser known, lesser preached major events in the life of Jesus because all of the events that we mention in the gospel and in the word of God are major events and they should be given proper major time in our preaching and teaching. Which is why if you're a verse by verse expository Bible preacher, it forces you not to leap over important things like the burial of Jesus Christ. And if you go through the four Gospels over a period of years and years and years at a church, Brother John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you get to those last couple of chapters, you are going to be forced yes. to deal with that. By the, I say forced, of course, by the nature of of Bible preaching. And you can't just say, you just can't do all your preaching on the death of Christ and then on the resurrection of Christ. No, you've got to take those passages in each gospel and other passages as well on the burial of Christ. And, and then in that way, all of the major events of Christ and all the doctrines of the Word of God are going to be given appropriate, equal time over the decades as you go verse by verse, book by book through the books, through many of the books of the Bible in your, in your given ministry. There's as many prophecies of the burial of Jesus as there are the death and the resurrection, you know? It's amazing. It's it, absolutely amazing. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned, is it Psalm 16? I will not allow my Holy One to see, see corruption. corruption. I believe it is Psalm 16. And, uh, you know, that's just such a, a, a prophetic passage dealing with Christ being buried. And, you know, an expositor, when he sits down and reads what Paul said, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The first question the expositor asks is, how did he die according to the Scriptures? Where does the Scriptures say? How was he buried according to the Scriptures? Now, how, how did the Scriptures say he would be buried? Um, you know, raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. How, how does the Scriptures say he would? And that causes us to go back to the Old Testament and search out 
how were how were these things according to the scriptures? That's the work of an expositor. Absolutely, and that's what makes the Bible such. It makes it come book. alive. And when you do an exposition like that, it, the thing I love about Bible exposition is it builds doctrine and knowledge, passage by passage, yeah. book by book, into your own mind and your own life as a child of God, preacher or Christian, whatever the case may be. But that part about the burials I did in the introduction uh, the other night. And I know the book of Jonah, it, first of all, because exposition is taking what the passage says. And you've about, preached through the book of Jonah. I have preached through it several times at different right. churches. And it's a, it's about a man that was a prophet, and God told him to go to Nineveh, and he went the other way. And the storm came. They threw him overboard, got the fish prepared. So all of that's verse by verse. But but once you've dealt with that, then you can go back and say, but furthermore, according to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Told those religious people the only they wanted a sign. He said the only sign you're going to get it's a sign the prophet Jonah that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so I will be three days three nights in the belly of the earth. And so type, typologically or symbolism, uh, the uh, portents, type shadows, the whole book of Jonah then right. is a book about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ with the major emphasis on the burial. Right. Exactly. It's amazing. <clears throat> and what also a wonderful picture that if God haters will repent at the preaching of the gospel, God oh will be merciful and save them, brother. Isn't that right? Amen. No matter how wicked they are. Brother, we're going to get here on the book of Jonah. <laughs> and by the way, before we move forward, don't you love Warren Wiersbe? Oh, brother, I, I cannot tell you how much I've learned. Brother, my two commentaries on the New Testament is a red-bound volume two two volume on the whole new testament and inside is a note from you mm -hmm. and i had the little paperback books that came out first one right. book at a time right before he had the whole new testament finished and i was looking at it the other day it's right there in my library in my room at the house and i pulled it out and read that and you bought me that those two volumes from the whole new testament a personal note from you yeah and, and brother i'll i'll never forget that wonderful gift but i love dr wearsby i was in seminary and you know, you get to seminary and you think it's going to be youth camp, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I got to seminary with a Vines It's camp, all right, but it's, it's not youth no, camp. No, sir. <laughs> uh, I got to seminary with a Vines Expository Dictionary and a Schofield Bible, and I thought that's all I needed. <laughs> Amen, <laughs> Mama Sim sent me $50 in the mail just as a gift, and I went over, you know, the the used to call it the Baptist Bookstore on campus at yes. Southwestern there. and. Warren Wiersbe had taken all of those paperback B-series and B put them into that two-volume, which now I think is a five-volume set. It is. I believe the whole Bible. And, uh, boy, I took that $50 and bought that two-volume set, and I'm telling you, I love Dr. Wiersbe. He, he is so pastoral and helps you grasp the meaning of a text as well as anybody I've ever read. He does. I and, love him. And what's so great about that is to think that he's with the Lord Jesus. He's now. in heaven oh, right my. now, brother. Hallelujah. No longer having to preach about tops and shadows now. <laughs> Amen, <he>? bro. <laughs> He's got the reality. Amen. Well, you know, I experienced a similar thing, brother, when you preached on the ascension. I think the same conversation we just had applies to the ascension. Um, we talk a lot about the death, and we talk a lot about the resurrection. But, brother, I've just not ever heard many sermons about the ascension. And that's why when we put this together, I wanted there to be just a separate message on the ascension, and you mentioned so many uh, six or seven reasons why the ascension is so important. Um, you first of all mentioned that when Christ ascended back, he ex he ascended back 
to his former glory. What, what do you mean by that? Well, that's in John chapter 17, I believe it is, about the first six verses, and that Christ uh, is the second eternal person of the Godhead. And as you so greatly preached this morning, he didn't lay aside his deity, but he laid aside the, the emptying of Philippians 2, the great kenosis passage. He laid aside the outshining of his glory and his majesty, and of course wrapped it in human flesh, and came to this earth, took on human flesh, uh, was hated, rejected, suffered, and bled and died upon the cross. And then Jesus, in that high priestly prayer, they, they had the, the last Passover He's instituted the Lord's Supper. They've sung a hymn. They're, he's going toward Gethsemane, then to be betrayed, tried, and crucified. And he prays that great high priestly prayer in John 17. And in the opening verses, he said that he was praying and thanking God that he was fixing to have go back to the same divine glory that he had with God, the outshining of his glory when he went back to heaven. Although at this time was something more, and that's the glorified human body that right. he preached on so wonderfully in the exaltation uh, this morning. So Jesus returned to his former glory and that at, when he ascended back to heaven. Well, and that goes along with something else you said, and I want to lump these two together just for time's sake, that when Christ ascended back, he ascended back to be our advocate and our intercessor. How important of a ministry is that that Jesus performs on our behalf? Well it's, well, it's everything, and it's his ongoing ministry. That's what's so amazing. He ever lives to make intercession for us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, I believe it's verse 25. And so the Lord is praying for us all the time, every day. He ascended back to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father on his throne. And he is right there right now praying for you and me and for this camp. It just blows my mind. And uh, when he, the Bible says that he's an advocate, uh, kind of ties in with that. First John 2, 2, if, uh, 1 and 2, if we have a, any man sin, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it talks about propitiation in verse 2. And that word means defense attorney. Yeah. And so Christ, when we sin as a believer, we confess those sins to God and when we, our Father. And when we do... Uh, Christ presents his merits to the Father, the finished work of Calvary, on our behalf as our defense attorney. Unbelievable, he's never lost a case. Praise the Lord. And every prayer he's ever prayed is answered by the Father. He told Peter when Peter, he knew Peter, when he told Peter he was going to, at, the, at the Lord's Supper when he was going to, he would, that he would deny him three times. He said, I have prayed for you. That your, faith, that your faith fail not. When you get right with me, you strengthen the brethren. And, brother, that just, that is, uh, that, that sends chills up my spine. Well, let me tell you the greatest gift you ever gave to me, brother. Um, and it comes to this last point on the ascension. You said that Christ ascended back to the right hand of God so that he could send the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide. And, brother, I remember when I was saved, and you remember how my conversion was, brother. It was a pretty radical conversion when God saved me and just changed everything <laughs> about my life. And I remember, brother, you drilled into me as a young Christian and then as a young man surrendered to preach, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And you explained that word play rue to me and you know, how it's a present tense imperative command. It's in the passive voice. And you taught me what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to preach in the Spirit, to parent in the Spirit, to love Kayla in the Spirit. 
uh, to pastor the church in the spirit and to buy groceries in the spirit. Amen. You know, that we're not to do anything apart from the spirit of the living God. And so I know, but brother, the greatest treasure, the greatest joy, how important is the role and the ministry and the work of the third person of the Trinity, the dear Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, brother, how long is this podcast going to last? <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. Brother, it, it's, it's, it's everything. Yeah. Our whole salvation is tied to the third person of the Amen, Godhead. Brother. We're convicted by the Spirit. We're regenerated by the Spirit. Drawn. We're baptized by the Spirit, drawn by the Spirit, and dwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. Fill with the Spirit, and I could go on and on. We're going to be raised by the Spirit. We're going to be Amen. raised by the Spirit. <laughs> That's Amen, exactly brother. right. And so it's just incredible. And and Jesus Himself said that when He ascended back to heaven, that He would uh, pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, after He was raised from the dead, He appeared forty days. We believe ten res- post-resurrection appearances. He went. He ascended back to heaven. Acts one nine through eleven. Then ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, Acts two, He poured out His ascension gift to His to His church. The Holy Spirit of God. That and was the bride gift, wasn't it? Oh brother? my! His gift to His bride. I love that. Amen, brother. And brother, it's it's everything. And when you think that if we had to live our life, if we didn't have the permanent dwelling of the Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit, brother, I, listen, I couldn't live the Christian Me life either. I mean, the Holy Spirit. He's not important. He's everything. He's he 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 he's essential. He's critically essential. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus poured him out. Yeah. So that's why he ascended back to heaven to pour out the gift of the Spirit upon the church. And so living our lives individually without the Spirit would be impossible as believers. And everything you just mentioned, and brother, could you imagine having church without the presence and power of this youth count, without the presence and power of the Spirit? Yesterday was I thought the presence of God was so strong in our yep. services. I know we, people at your church are praying, I believe, around the clock, 24 hours a day for the whole youth camp. Yep. And, brother, it was the presence and power of the third person of the Godhead. But if Christ had not ascended back to heaven, he would not have been poured out on the day of Pentecost as he was. Critical. I, I've always said what separates the church from the Lions Club is the Holy Spirit, brother. Amen. Brother. Lions Club don't need the Holy Spirit. But well, boy, I knew when – I'm sorry. The church does. <laughs> Amen. Well, I knew when I preached that, of course, we always – We've been so close for so many years now, but I knew you would so appreciate that point. Yes, because I know you live a spirit-filled life, and you're you know you're the, the godliest man I've ever met, and you live in the fullness of the spirit twenty-four-seven. I believe that with all my heart, and I and I know how you depend upon Him yeah. for everything, right? And that you know your own weaknesses and frailty, and you know that it's the power of the Spirit of God through the resurrected Christ in you that gives you the power to do the things you do for the Lord Jesus. And I just want to go on record, brother, humbly, I mean this with a broken heart, and just say I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. I don't don't care what anybody thinks. I don't either. I don't care what they think it makes me, brother. I'm telling you right now, I live my life completely as a beggar, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to give me strength to take the next step. And I cannot conceive of a Christianity or a pastorate, or a church, or one sermon, or counseling session, or talk with my wife, or kids, or whatever, without asking God to fill me with the Spirit, brother. He, I want to say, uh, I want to say, I love the Holy me Spirit too. of the Living me God. Too. And just as an illustration, brother, you, you'll call me, and sometimes you'll say, brother, I want to ask you a question, or brother, I want to ask you about something. 
And brother, you know what I do when you when you God do, fill me with the God spirit. fill me with the spirit and fill me right with there wisdom. on the spot, brother on the spot. Yeah, it's the way of life. It is, and He is everything. And I love the Spirit of God. Of course, you can't talk about Him about three or four seconds because you're going to start talking about Jesus because He's going to point you to Jesus and magnify and glorify Jesus, and uh, because that's what Jesus said He would do when He comes. Brother, He's so precious and oh, personal and holy. No wonder Jesus said sins against the Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come, brother. He is God's Holy Spirit. It's incredible. You know, the Bible says be filled with the Spirit, yep. walk in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, worship in the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. <laughs> Don't grieve the Spirit. And on and on and on we could go. Yeah, that's so right. It's everything. Amen, he's, he's everything. Well, just to bring this kind of back to where we started, because, man, I love this. Well, you know, me and you do this, and we could do it all day Amen. long, brother. But why do you still do camp? You'll be 70 years old when? In, uh, I'll be 69, in, 69 in, on I'm June sorry. the 25th. I cheated you a year. Well, though. I always say I'm almost 70. <laughs> right. Debbie, Debbie fussed at me about that all yeah. the time. I rounded up to the nearest number when I have a birthday. Man, why do you still do camp at 69 years old, brother? Brother, I, out of my love for Jesus and my love for young people, and but I really can't explain that. I, all I can tell you is when I got saved, uh, I, I was a member of York Terrace Baptist Church in Sheffield, Alabama, and, and I don't miss saved a few weeks or a month. Of course, I was going to church all the time and started going to soil visitation and all that and just hungry to learn and grow. And they were having a youth retreat. I didn't know what a youth retreat meant. Right. And they asked me to go to the counselor. I didn't know what that meant either. But I went. And, brother, all I can tell you is I fell in love with young people in that retreat. And Amen. I thought, man, this is wonderful. And I'm so glad God, God called me to preach. I love pastoring. But, brother, I have always had a special love and bent Toward young, at my church, Grace Baptist in Selmer, I love our young people and our college students so much, and it's just such a blessing to see them saved and get married and have children involved with God and be a part of the church there. And I still, to this day, have as much love for young people as I did when I started preaching. Uh, I love started as minister of youth in 1977 <laughs> yeah. at First Baptist Church Sheffield, and and I, and I love. That and it's been the greatest thrill and privilege and honor highlight of my life to have preached with you mm. at these camps. Amen. And brother, your church is such a strong, spiritual church, and to ever be a part of anything there is such a humbling honor. And uh, but I look when we leave tomorrow, uh, God willing, I will be thinking about the next, next camp, year. looking forward to it. Yeah, and because it's just uh, God. So mildly used of God. But I love young people on my heart. Well, you're leaving here. Go home. Basically, unpack and throw everything in the washing machine. Or Debbie will. Debbie. <laughs> and once it's dried and she folds it, she's going to put it right back in the suitcase. And you're headed off to uh, Grace Life Church of Muscle Shoals. You're their camp preacher for the week, brother. That's that's a pretty heavy load to do two camps back to back like that. Well, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I pray that I will. But I'm very honored. To What's be the there. theme over there? Uh, the theme is going to be to stand fast or be strong in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Philippians chapter four verse one. Yeah. And I'm going to take Philippians four one through nine. And I'm going to preach six sermons verse by verse, straight out of that passage, expositorily. And, Wait a minute and, now. When do you bring the smoke machines out? Bro? <laughs> huh? When we burn the garbage. <laughs> When's the guy coming in with the zip line from the helicopter? As soon as the camp is over. 
We're going to preach the word. Going to be with Coach Stadium and Brother Steve McAllister. Amen. They've asked me to come, and of course, you know, love Brother Jeff yeah. so much. And and you know, the funny thing about it. it, brother, we we so dedicate this. It, this is Bible camp, man. It's it it's is. Bible camp. But last night, Patrick and Hasty and Colt. Uh, Tyler. Put that and Tyler put that trivia on, and brother, we laughed. We had the that was the most fun. That's why I love to be around these guys. Amen. And uh, they keep oil in the motor, you know. They keep you young, and uh, but they all know we're dead serious about the Word of God. But you see, then when we have a good time, it's good, clean, biblical fun. Absolutely, and we can have a great time in the Lord. It doesn't have to be grungy and worldly and carnal, brother. That's so true, and that's so important, and brother. I, I would challenge anyone to come to your camp. I won't tell you, you're not going to have more fun. Mm-hmm. But it's not the predominant thing. It's the Word of God. But, it's an overflow. But we have a great time, yeah. and the the spiritual preaching and all that God's doing makes that fun time that much more enjoyable. Exactly. And it's in the proper place. But we have a great time. And last night, brother, for an hour and a half after service was over, playing that trivia game, we laughed. Yeah. So tears come down our it eyes. Was, it was a, just a blast. A couple of ladies we, we, we stay up so late doing that. They got delirious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laughing. Well, brother, I said this to brother Jeff, and it's true of you know my relationship with him. And it's certainly true of you that – a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And you've loved me through it all, brother. And you've been there. We've been through a lot of adversity through all these years of ministry. But I want to just say as we close it out that while we've been through a lot, Jesus is still sweet. I love him with all of my heart. Amen. He is our salvation, our life, our Lord, our God, our master, our king, our owner. Could there be any greater treasure? than the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest treasure in all of earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for coming, brother. You know, we walked in here on Wednesday, and I looked at you, and you looked at me, and I said, well, brother, God kept us alive one more year, and here we are at camp. You used to say on the last, after when we leave in the morning, tomorrow morning, you used to say, well, brother, there's one more in the books. That's right. That's what you usually say. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, we'll sign off for today, and uh, brother, you've got to go study. I know you already have, but the study never ends. Never ends. And I know you got to go study and pray for tonight to preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Are you excited about it? Brother, I can't hardly contain myself. Brother, Jesus is coming again. He's coming any moment, the rapture, and then seven years later, back to earth in power and great glory on that white horse. I know MacArthur says that that horse is figurative. And uh, the armies of heaven will come with him, the angels and the church coming back with him, that the white horse is figurative of victory. And that may be the case, but I'm not taking any chances, brother. I'm taking horse riding lessons Amen. to be ready on that day. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Well, God bless you, brother Don. And by God's grace, we'll be here next year and have a very unique opportunity this year in that all of the sessions were live feed. And so if you would like to see some of our youth camp, it's on our Facebook page at Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. Or if you want to hear one of the recordings, you can go to our website, smbconline.com, and all of those audio messages will be there as well. God bless you for listening today. Thank you for listening to The Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Giano's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Giano Sims.